Hello everybody and welcome to another episode of We Are No Alamo, the mental health podcast. I am your host, Paige Whalen, and tonight my co-host is... Ashley Wood. What is up, Ashley? Oh, nothing much. Just helping you talk to the world. Helping me talk to the world. I really appreciate you coming down. So what we're going to talk about today is... Dissociative Identity Disorder. Also known as DID. Exactly. And Ashley, what do you know about DID? Well, I know it's been reclassified. It was formerly known as Multiple Personality Disorder, but that doesn't really um, clarify what's happening to the patient, and it had negative connotations attached to it. Right. Definitely a lot of stigma. Mm -hmm. Way Mm -hmm. too much stigma. And so it was reclassified as DID, which is an actual diagnosis. It is rare, but lots of people with different mental health diagnoses, such as like bipolar or schizophrenia, they also disassociate. They just don't disassociate into different identities. They just disassociate as in there's like a hole in their memory. Exactly. So, want to weigh in trivia. You ready for this? ready as I'll ever be. Alright. Rock, paper, scissors to see if you go first. Okay. You're going first because I have the questions. Okay, yeah. Okay. Fold ya! Ha ha! Alright. Want to weigh in question number one. What percent of the population has disassociative identity disorder in the United States? 0.01% to 1%. Did you just look at the computer? Is it wrong to look at the answers if they're right in front of you? Oh my gosh. Stop cheating. That's not called cheating. That's called being crafty. All right, fine. (laughs) Ashley's right. Point! Ding! So, yes. The rate of disassociative identity disorder is between 0.01 and 1% of the general, general, general population in the United States. So, one away in question number two. And I am hiding the answer. How many cases of disassociative identity disorder are there? I would say 10,000. Cases? Cases. Okay, well, what this is talking about is... In the United States. Yeah, but it's about the average personalities of someone who has been diagnosed with disassociative identity disorder. How many different identities they would have? Exactly. Have you ever watched that? No, I would say the average is about six. Yeah, well, it says 13 to 15. Wow, that is a lot to deal with. Yeah, and especially in therapy, um, over the course of your treatment, then normally they can identify more personalities that have been, um, what did you call it earlier? Just, like, pulled inside. Yeah. And, like, pulled from your... Erased from your memory, right? Like a black hole. Exactly. Okay. How many types of dissociative disorders are there? Three. (laughs) Yeah, girl. Do you know which three there are? No, I don't. Try. I believe in you, Scooby-Doo. Um... Disassociative identity disorder, 
given. Number one? Yes. Dissociative Identity Disorder 2? Dissociative Identity Disorder classified as 3. You know what? Those are all good guesses, but no. <sighs> Ashley, I tried. I'm just going to drop some knowledge on you right now. So, yeah, there are three types of disassociative disorders. One is disassociative identity disorder, which is what we were talking about. One is disassociative amnesia, which you and I both have experience, and we're definitely going to talk about that. And then there is depersonalization and derealization disorders. So, surprise. Wow. A lot of different disorders are classified under DID. I did not know that. Exactly. Um, So, who do you think... I mean, it is a very rare um, disorder, whatever, diagnoses that have a lot of variables where psychiatrists and psychologists or whomever helping this patient um what who do you think is more affected men or women i would say women are more affected why do you say that because i know that disassociating has to do with trauma and typically in most societies women have go through more trauma especially at younger ages not that men don't but it's more common for women to have experienced some type of trauma, especially sexual trauma, which is something that people definitely disassociate from commonly. Of course. And you are ding, 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 correct. Women are more affected by nearly 9.1% of American adults from 18 or older and are diagnosed with um, a disassociative disorder of some kind including borderline personality disorder and schizophrenia. Um, But they say it's worth noting that children are often misdiagnosed with schizophrenia and not disassociative identity disorder because they're children. Uh Uh-huh. Right? Um, So let's talk about this in society, right? So on the Today Show... Yesterday, they did um, this bit called The Many, Signs of J- Many Sides of Jane, um, which is a new series on A&E, I believe, and highlights a mother of two with the rare disorder of disassociative identity disorder. And what they talk about is... Um, which I have polls on the YouTube channel. Check it out. Just um, search We Are No Alamo Wanna. Take you straight to the YouTube page or our Facebook page. Um, we Are No Alamo. And one of the biggest hurdles that this woman was talking about um, was people think she is dangerous. Yeah, or that she could become violent. Yeah. Especially with her kids. Which is a common um, occurrence with anyone that has any type of mental illness. Because there's Mm -hmm. so much stigma attached to all mental illness. Even more so to DID. But feeling like you're afraid that the world, people out there are going to think that you're dangerous. Or that you're incapable of parenting. Exactly. Because of your mental illness. Is a very common fear with people of all types of mental illness. 
And I know that you can speak more on that. Yeah, I mean, I personally, you know, would like to have kids one day or possibly adopt, and that's something I'm very afraid of, is that having a bipolar diagnosis would possibly prevent me from adopting. Um, I'm commonly afraid of people not wanting me to, like, say, be around their children because they're afraid that I could become violent when I've never become violent, not even in a psychotic episode. Um, You don't necessarily... Um, even though a lot of violence can be associated with mental illness, a lot of mental illness is not associated with violence. It doesn't go both ways. And same thing with a lot of mental illness is not associated with the inability to raise children or be a part of a family or function just as a normal adult. And you have the ability to seek help. And there's treatment, but there's not a cure. Yeah, there's no cure. There's always treatment, though. And with treatment, you can function completely normally. You exactly. Can, it's so important. Yeah, it's it's one of those things, just like any disease, um, if you had... It's not a disease. Well, just like any... I'm comparing it to a disease in that you may not be able to cure it, but with treatment, you can function properly and have a normal life. Exactly. Yeah. Hashtag normal. Yeah, well, whatever normal is, yeah. But, you know, if you're something like, say, diabetic, and you're not treating it, of course you're not going to have an ability to function normally. Right. If you are treating it, you can function somewhat normally. And by normally, I mean you can have some regularity, and you can have some ability to control yourself, control whether it be yourself physically or yourself mentally. And... These past couple episodes that we've done before have been on emotional regulation and dysregulation mm-hmm. and talking about skills to help you get back to a baseline to be able to be in control of your emotions and actually put words on those emotions, right? I think putting words on those emotions is a huge thing. A lot of times we just say we feel upset or we feel mad or we feel sad. We just go to these like very, very basic, almost kindergarten terms. But when you start to say, we well, don't have I anything feel else to explain. S- explain. But when you start to really think about like, what am, what am I feeling right now? Well, I'm, I'm having a panic attack, but I'm also feeling hot. I'm feeling flustered. I'm feeling like my heart's beating faster. I'm feeling tingly. Things like that, that really break down the experience in a way that you can Um, continue to um, move through it, pass through it, understand what you're going through, understand what the experience is, explain it to your psychiatrist later, and fully move through it. You can't get into it. You can't move through it if you can't get into it. Exactly. I love how you said that. And also in IOP, I mean, the tip skills that we learn, like, talking about hard things like your brother's death and then mm-hmm. all those other things my mother's death <laughs> yeah yeah so let's talk about disassociation with memories and trauma yeah i mean i think trauma is a huge thing i think everybody's going to go through some type of trauma in their life um but some people depending on how their brains handle it some people handle trauma extremely well some people dissociate from trauma, and really that just means that 
you know that something happened. You may even have been told that there may be video of something happening, but you don't remember it. And it's not necessarily your actions, like you flipped out that caused you to not remember it, but it's that something happened to you right. that was hard, too hard for your brain to process. So you either black it out completely, which is just disassociating, or you create another identity that deals with just that trauma, and that's where you have DID, where you have a dissociative identity disorder. Right. A disassociative disorder is just basically removing yourself from the experience entirely and not having a memory of it, not having completely disassociating from the memory of the trauma. Yeah, so just to piggyback off of what you just said, like your brain is trying to save itself and save you from this trauma. I've had this experience with my family. I remember I was at Chewy's. Hashtag Austin, Chewy's Tex-Mex is the best sponsor of us. So we were talking, and my mom was talking about my grandfather's funeral in Colorado. And um, it's her father. Yeah. And I was like, yeah, I don't know why I never went there. And you didn't remember the experience, and you were there. Yeah, for a week. Yeah. And, and I it don't was remember. hard on you. So you I mean, I d- it wasn't. I mean, I it triggered well, when I was in, in college. In your memory, it wasn't hard on you because you disassociated from it. And that's exactly. how your brain dealt with that. And that's how disassociation works in right. general. Dissociative identity is, like I said earlier, where you would have sparked off a completely separate identity to deal with that. Right. So, I... What's um, your disassociation experience? Um, I've had several disassociative experiences, not all that I want to talk about. Um, of course, but we have for one here. that is skillful, yeah, I mean, but one that I think is a very common one um, that I am going to talk about, even though I don't really want to, but it's something that I think a lot of women deal with and men, but particularly women, is appreciating. At some point um, in my life, I someone slept with me. I was apparently asleep at the time maybe I woke up I don't I don't remember the experience at all um and I don't necessarily consider myself raped because I don't have a memory of it I don't want to have a memory in this case I'm really glad I disassociated from it I think had I yeah I think had I had a memory of it I would probably consider myself under different terms um, but in my, what I do consider happened is something happened to me that I did not consent to. I did not feel good about happening to me later when I found out about it. And I have no memory of it. And that's really difficult to deal with. Um, Terrifying. yeah. Um, for me, I basically, uh, realized that that was one of the ways I realized through my doctors that that's what I was doing. I was disassociating. And that, that there's other memories I have that are traumatic, and I remember them vividly. Like, as a child, I almost drowned, and I remember that vividly for some reason. I didn't so, know that. Yeah, I, uh, yeah I was uh, in a tube shoot, which is something else that's a very Austin, New Braunfels thing. Um, and my tube was not the big black tubes. I was really small. Right, let's get some so context get, for our listeners. 
What's a tube shoot? So it the sounds river... like a body shot at like Margaritaville. <laughs> so <laughs> so we have rivers that you float in tubes on. And there's a part where the river can get really narrow and they basically build a way where it funnels the water and it shoots you out into rapid water and it's really exciting. Yeah. Um, what happened with me is I was in a, a much lighter tube, a tube that my parents had bought for me that was smaller for a kid, but it was too light for the tube shoot. So instead of me shooting out on the rapids and bumping down the rapids on the tube like you're supposed to, I my tube shot up in the air, I fell out. And I fell under to the rapids, and the lifeguards had to pull me out. They had to give me CPR. And um, I remember vividly being underneath the water, it being very peaceful. It was a really strange experience. But it's like the dreams I have like that, where I'm just laying in, under yeah. the pool and just looking up and being like, this is so peaceful. Yeah. That was real. Yeah, but I do... Very different. Yeah. <laughs> we were also that same day, ironically... Um, we were, someone basically robbed us and took everything that was at our pallet, which was like my little brother's baby so bag. It wasn't a basic and, robbery, it was uh, a legit someone stole, robbery. Yeah, someone stole like my my little brother's baby bag and I think the keys to the car. And anyways, I do remember some of that. I do remember my parents fighting, but I definitely disassociated from some of that part of the memory. So I think a lot of my disassociation has to do with things that are done to me that I couldn't prevent. Um, and also when people are fighting, people get angry or negative of some kind. Um, and I think that's really common. Some people dissociate from like an experience like drowning or something for some reason I didn't. But my point really is that even though you disassociate, doesn't mean that you're always going to disassociate. Doesn't mean that every trauma, every stressful event is going to cause you to disassociate. Oh, and like the many sides of Jane situation or show um on Amy that I definitely think we should both watch. Yes. Um she says it's triggered by stress, but they did the documentary and I think some people want to watch these shows about people with MI as kind of like a side circus show. Like how crazy are these people? And it's like we're not crazy. We're fully capable of taking care of ourselves. If we have the resources and the support necessary and to not be so stigmatized. No, there's a, there's something malfunctioning with one of our major organs, which is our brain. If you had something malfunctioning with your heart, you would never treat someone like that. If you had something malfunctioning with your lungs, you would never treat someone like that or with any other major organ. So the fact that you would feel that way or that MI has the stigma that it does is completely ridiculous because no other type of illness where you have a malfunction of a major organ is treated the way, is treated the way basically, you know, mental illness is treated. I love a higher stigma on it than anything. I think we've talked about this before on the podcast, but that comic strip that um, our yeah social worker showed or us. basically it showed someone getting stabbed and they were like so what's your problem yeah put some duct tape on yeah, it yeah put some duct tape on it yeah and it was I have AIDS well don't take medicine it's not going anywhere yeah exactly <laughs> you would never tell someone that um and so approaching that with MI by the way we do not believe that at all 
Yeah, that was a comic strip. Super It was a comic strip. Not written but by us. The point, yeah, not written by us. But the point behind it was that you would never, it's the same point I'm making, is you would never treat anyone that way. No. And so, you know, think twice before you think that way about mental illness or people with mental illness. It is a illness. That's all. Um, and if it's not being treated, sometimes people can be a little bit harder to deal with. But for the, you know, a lot of different illnesses that aren't being treated make people harder to deal with so i want to like get in on this word with deal with because what do you think that means like put words on it because it's a harsh harsh judgment statement based on you for me for me it's a go-to it's a go-to word for either something that's hard to cope with Hard for people to cope with, hard for you to cope with. Let's say so, I. So if I say I have to me deal to with it, with. right? Yeah. Um, then that's basically what I mean. Okay. Yeah. So how and can so, we change that? Just basically saying hard to cope with. Yeah. So it's something that I have to cope with and figure out how I can do it in yeah. a healthy way. But to in like, the context I'm talking about, it's something that society has to learn to cope with. Exactly. You know. However. But it is a layman's terms for basically I know, but how if we, we are trying to fill ourselves with positive self-talk, right? That's true. You are right. So let's turn it into that. All right. So how do you want to end up self-soothe and mastery? Rock, paper, scissors. Um, I'll go Wait. first. All right. Cool. Okay. Well, you cheated me out of rock, paper, scissors before, so this time I'll just go first. Oh, I know. I got you, bitch. (laughs) So my uh, goal this week is to finish the Spanish I need to finish and get ahead. My mastery is getting as far as I have so far in Spanish. Mastery in self-sweet. Well, it's... It's all mastery? Well, I did a goal first. Oh, okay. Yeah, and then I'm doing a mastery. Oh, you're just, adding to the list. Yes. Yeah. I, I, so my goal is to finish that? what I've started. My mastery is basically getting as far so far as what I've done in my Spanish. So I'm about halfway done with yeah. what I need to get done by Friday. And so that's been my mastery so far. And if you've been listening, you will remember that the last Spanish semester that Ashley had, she thought she was going to fail and she got an A and now she's feeling the same way and she's going to get an A. We'll see. Guaranteed. Uh, and then my self-soothe is going to be my kind of go-to self-soothe is to take a bath. I love it. And just relax because it's the one place that I can't hey, feel on hey, my phone. This is one of your best employees so if you want to help us out be a sponsor we will help recycle those little Black pots. Black spots. Because black pots. If you get um, five black pots from any Lush product and you can bring them back, then you get a free fresh face mask because Lush does closed loop recycling. They turn those black pots into things like yoga mats and stuff. So, Lush, right. we're going to tag you in this episode. All right, everybody. Thank you again for listening. Remember, if you or anybody else are experiencing suicidal thoughts or if you think someone might be depressed and need some help please call 1-800-273-TALK or text HOME to 
1-800-771-7741. It's the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline, and they provide 24-7 support to people in crisis situation. Remember, this podcast is about opening up the conversation. Remember that we want you to stay with us, and you are not alone because we are no Alamo. What's up? Y'all have a great week. See you Friday. Bye. Bye-bye. All right, Sheila, now she's going to have a bad time, too. Good. All right, ciao for now. Yeah.